Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Molly Mayhoff, and today's reading is from Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this is a nation of your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know you will look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. All right. I love the response. One of the things I loved about coming to Christ Central was the response nature of our church. So please do respond, respond with me as we go through um, this chapter together. 
we continue our short sermon series titled The Echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament, where we are surveying the large historical periods uh, in the Old Testament to see how they point us towards Christ. And we are doing this in light of the Easter Sunday that is to come that we're going to celebrate together. And last week, we saw the period of patriarchs and how there was echoes of Christ in the life of Joseph and how God was pointing towards the greater Joseph, the son of God, coming um, in line of the patriarchs. And today, we're turning our attention to the period of the Exodus. And needless to say, Exodus spans through a large chunk of the scripture. We read one chapter today, so we're probably going to jump back and forth through different scriptures. We're not going to be able to unpack everything here. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone app, you could go along with me. I think some of the scriptures will be here. But we're going to look at how now the Israelites coming out of the land of Egypt, being delivered by God into the land of Canaan, how through this process, God's son, the echoes of Jesus is shown throughout this book. And when we come to the story of Israelites in Exodus chapter 33 that you and I just read today, we're on the heels of one of the most spectacular failures of Israelites ever. You probably all know the infamous golden calf. Even those who do not know the scripture well know the story of golden calf. To give you a short background of chapter 32, Israelites are out of Egypt. God heard their cry of deliverance, and God brings them out of land of Egypt with miraculous signs unto the wilderness on their way to Canaan, and they come to a place called Mount Sinai. And God meets with Moses. Moses says, I'm going to go up to the mountains, and I'm going to bring back the commandments of the Lord. And God converses with Moses there, and Ten Commandments is given to Moses, to give to Israelites so that they could live as God's people. But Israelites became impatient while waiting for Moses to return from the mountain and decided to ask Aaron, Moses' brother, to make them gods to worship. And Aaron complies and fashions a golden calf from their earrings and other jewelries they actually brought out of the uh, land of Egypt, saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And this is happening. God sees that. He becomes angry with the Israelites for their idolatrous heart and tells Moses that he will destroy them and start over with Moses. And Moses says, wait, 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 God, these are your people that you brought them out. So please, please turn your anger against, uh, away from them and please for their saving. And God relents and not destroy Israelites, and upon the return, this is what Moses and God is conversing here, talking about what is going to happen next in the life of Israelites. And in the conversation that happens between God and Moses, we see the fate of the Israelites upon their failures. And through that, we see a life that is pictured without God in one hand. And on the other side, we see life with God, that is picture. In one sense, we see life without God is picture. And in one sense, life with God is picture. And for us, as we follow along this story, what we see, in order to go from life without God to life with God, we need a mediator. And in this story, we see Moses, the great prophet, becoming that mediator between life without God, and life with God. So we're going to do that journey with us this morning in Exodus chapter 33 to see the contrasting life and how the mediator brings us with the life 
with God. And first thing we see is the life without God that is pictured here. Life without God is simply illustrated as a life of idolatry. Life of idolatry. Idolatry simply means the worship of idols. In other words, giving worth your trust, your absolute confidence in something other than one true God. That's what we see here. And the Bible states that life of idolatry is actually life without God. And we see the form of life without God in these three ways using idolatry. First way the idolatrous heart works is the blatant life of idolatry. The first way is the blatant life of idolatry. And Israelites know this really well. And I think you and I know this really well too. It's pretty, pretty easy to see. I remember when I went on a mission trip to India, I would go into these houses and we see all kinds of idols displayed upon the walls. And we often say, that's an idol. You could see it, right? You could point at it. You would say, that's an idol. And Israelites know that as well, don't they? They came out of land of Egypt where idols were worshipped. And against the false idols of the time, God, Yahweh, one true God, God of the universe who created the heavens and earth, God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, the patriarchs, Yahweh, one true God, shows up and says, those are false gods. And out of Egypt, through ten miracles, Right? even splitting open the Red Sea, defeating the super army of Egypt at the time, and God brings them out. The Israelites know exactly what blatant life of idolatrous life looks like. And Moses alludes to that in Exodus chapter 32, verse 11. He says, But Moses tried to talk to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a great such a strong hand. So you see, Israelites must have known what life without God, blatant idolatry, ends in disaster as, ev- disaster as evidenced by their experience in Egypt, knowing that if you are living in blatant idolatry, you're headed towards life without God and you're headed towards destruction. And here I want to address those who may be a guest for us this morning and those who have not given your life to the Lord God of the universe, Christ in the scripture that we talk about. And if you have made it this morning, praise the Lord. We're glad that you could join us. It takes a lot more courage to be in this presence, to listen to what God has to say. Even the fact that you're joining us is the way that God is already working in your life. And it may be uncomfortable to hear this, but the Bible is absolutely clear, isn't it? Bible clearly states that life of idolatrous worship ends in disaster, but life with the living God will end in eternal life with them. And the church gathers to testify to that truth, and the people that claim to be Christians must live in light of that truth. Therefore, we welcome you. We want you to stay with us. We'd love to converse you more about that, and that's what the Scripture teaches us today as well. But the blatant life of idolatry is very clear for us. But oftentimes, a lot of us, and a lot of quote-unquote Christians, as they say, fall into shrouded idolatry of golden calf. Shrouded idolatry of golden calf. When we come to Exodus 32, we see the shrouded idolatry of golden calf. At the initial glance, the golden calf seems to be pretty blatant idolatrous heart, isn't it? After all, golden calf is fashioned after the gods of Egypt and the ancient Near East 
the time of Exodus at the time. But notice what people ask of Aaron in chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 1 says, When people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, all right, take the gold rings and your, from your ears and your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, when Israel was afraid in not seeing Moses, who symbolized the presence of God, Yahweh, for them, what they wanted to was they became impatient and wanted their own tangible symbol, sign of God who led them out. They saw what God, they, God did, but they are missing Moses who represented God for them. So what they wanted is to fashion God in the form that they wanted. They want God who brought them out, but in the form that they needed, they wanted to see what they're familiar with. Hence, Aaron makes a calf, golden calf, that they were familiar with in the land of Egypt so they could grasp it. You see, the life without God in this shrouded idolatry of golden calf is similar to one saying, I, I believe in God. I believe that God has created the heavens and the earth. I believe in all this, but in my own timing, in my own way, in the ways I could grasp it, in the ways I could see it. And this forms of idolatry, church, comes to surface when God doesn't show up the ways you expect it. Or when God does not seem to answer your prayers, then your heart becomes impatient. This type of idolatry fashions oneself an idol that fits one's need, and God becomes a tool to get what you want instead of you serving the Lord. And we see that ever so clearly in Aaron's response to Moses in why he created this idol, right? Aaron responds to Moses by saying, don't, don't get upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow. And in verse 24, so I told them, whoever has the gold jewels, take it off. So they brought it to me. I simply threw it into fire and came this calf. Basically what he's saying, out of the evil heart of one, the idol comes out. Out of the evil desire of the one, the idol comes out. And also, out of the fear of not being in control. Out of fear of being left alone. Out of fear of being abandoned. Dare I say, out of fear of not seeing your prayers perhaps answered. Out of fear of thinking that God has left you, this idol comes out. And before we point our fingers at the Israelites, O Church of Christ, how often we fall into this trap. I think this is often seen what we call a cultural Christianity, especially in the South, don't we? We may have grown up around the Christian stuff. We may even have seen how God worked in our parents and talked about how oh, that's great parents' faith in others' lives. We know all the stories. We can recite all the great Bible stories in our hearts. We know all the songs that we sing. We know all the Christianity languages that we understand what propitiation by uh, saving 
is we all know all that means and what evangelicalism, Christianity might mean. You'll be able to converse with, quote-unquote, Christians around you. We have done this Sunday school. We call ourselves Christians, but we have so many other idols in our hearts that we worship alongside the God of the Scripture. And oftentimes that comes out of fear, isn't it? Fear of losing what we want Fear of losing our influence. Fear of losing something. And out of that fear, false ideology are added to the gospel truth. That's where legalism thrives, right? Because you want to grasp onto something, right? Grace is so hard to grasp, so you want to grasp onto legalism. This is where the false ideology like Christian nationalism take root because you place your faith in something else but the gospel alone. This is where prosperity gospel takes root because you want to grasp that image of what God provides for you. This is where all those false ideology thrives to fit our liking. This is when we say you must do X, Y, and Z to be truly Christian and we judge and we look outward in judgment rather than inward in love and outward again in love. That's when this idolatry thrives. Even going further than that, not even just ideologies, but even lifestyles and our choices, we build, erect golden calves around all of our lives. Golden calf of life, golden calf of youth soccer, Golden calf of football, March Madness. Golden calf of our children. Do you have children's program? Do I like that? Do I not like that? Well, I can't go here. Golden calf of comfort. Golden calf of all the good things God may give. Vacation, property, way of life, friendship, community, dare I say. All the good things. Perhaps you would say, Pastor, no, 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 no. I don't worship any of that. I worship God and God alone. But look at the evidence of your life. Oftentimes you order and choose and fashion your life around all these golden calves. Do you find the images of Israelites worshiping this golden calf in your life? Where you're dancing around, as we talk about, we're scurrying around all these different choices that we're making in our lives, and we forget to worship one true God who calls us to come and worship, again, out of fear of being left behind. I believe Church of Christ is under threat, not as much from the false ideologies as all these headlines would say, right? We're losing this. We're losing culture war. But I believe internally, we often lose our love for the Lord. Hence, often Jesus shows up and says, fear not, disciples. I'm here. Fear not. O Church of Christ, are you living in a shrouded idolatry of a golden calf this morning? What are some golden calves you must tear down? The God is pointing at and saying, that's a golden calf. You cannot worship God and also this God's alongside of it. I'm a jealous God. I want all of your heart, all of your family, all of your future in my hands. And that's a shrouded, idolatrous picture we see in chapter 32. But once we get to chapter 33, today's text, we see another form of idolatry 
And we call this slippery slope of idolatry. Slippery slope of idolatry. On the hills of Golden Calf, this is what God tells Israelites in verse 1, chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, that you brought up from the land of Egypt, right? Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all those people, right? Go up to this land and flow with milk and honey, and I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. Forget about the last part. Think about verse 1 and 2. On the surface, it sounds great, doesn't it? This is what Israelites wanted. God told them to go to the promised land. Not the long way around, just go there. And he said, I will give it to you. I'll drive out all these nations before you, and you'll get it. Better yet, God will send an angel to do that for you. So go and enjoy all that you ever wanted, all that you desire coming out of Egypt. Except... I will not go with you. Church, I think that's the scariest one out of them all. For those of us who sit here thinking, hey, we're okay. We are Christians. We're church people. I'm sitting here on Sunday morning, right? But the warning of this idolatry is ever so clear for those who think that we're in the will of God, but we're not. After all, how many of us would actually sign up for this? How many of us actually signed up for this already? God says you will get the land. You'll get the protection in getting it. You will get that house. You'll get the promotion that you always wanted. You'll get the A-plus in your studies that you desire, that you study so hard for. You'll get the man and woman of your dreams. You'll get the job that you always wanted. You even get to leave it behind for your future generation. You secure the bag. Your children's life will change. You will get your health. Everything will be good. God will heal you and all those things. But you know what? I will not be in it with you. I will not go. But how tempting is that, church? How many of us dare give into this life without God as long as there's no catastrophe coming my way on this side of eternity? How many of us will choose and have chosen things of this world in exchange of, uh, in exchange of fellowship with God of the universe? In fact, you and I perhaps already know that life with God actually is more difficult than life without God, right? As you walk with God, what happens? Your sin is exposed. I have to deal with the sinners around me too. You think my sin is big enough? Man, look around me. God, look at all the sinners I'm sitting by. I have to deal with all their singing, all their crying, all their complaining. I got to deal with all that too. I can't just avoid them. That's what the Bible tells me to do so. Life with God means walking with them. I must learn to love those God you place around me. Not only my neighbors, that's, that's hard enough. But those who don't even live next to me, those that live on the other side of town, those that live in the other parts of the world, you tell me to love them. That's great. But how about this? Love your enemies. That's easy, right? That's hard. Living with God is more difficult. So oftentimes we say, God, just let me keep them at my arm's length and let me live in my bubble of comfort. 
C.S. Lewis writes in Screwtape Letters a masterful story of older devil discipling a younger devil, and he says this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, slippery slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Fastest and the safest way is a gentle, slippery slope of idolatry. How many of us are in the danger of living a life without God in this slippery slope of life? How often we look for things that we only want to hear that tickle our ear. How often the name of false idols, we neglect the idea of loving others. And how often we neglect living life with God instead of living life of self. Oh, Church of Christ, as you sit here this morning, be warned of life without God. It's a slippery slope towards eternal separation and damnation. Perhaps it is God's grace. Have you ever thought that? Some of the difficult challenges that you have in your life is perhaps God's grace beckoning you back into the arms of the Father that says, come back home, my child. I am your Father. Come back home. And I believe in this post-pandemic world that what we often see that ever before, gathering to worship is an option now, isn't it? You can pick and choose what you want to hear. There's so many YouTube channels out there. Pick your own community, they say, right? Hear what you want to hear only in your worship, in your life. Do what you want that is convenient for you. But church, you know what separated Israelites from Egyptians and all those other Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites? It wasn't that those Egyptians, Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Americans <laughs> didn't have the land, no experiences, the miracles of the false gods or the possessions of the things. They had it all too. But what separated the God's people from all these people is not you will have this, but you won't have this. What separated them is God's very promise that said, I will be your God and you will be my people. A covenant, a promise. The very presence of God dwelling with you was what separated God's people from those who are not. Which also means life of being set apart living examples of worship. Oh, how have we often say we are followers of God became just like the rest of the world. How often we look more like our idols that we worship than God that we claim to worship. Church, that's the warning that we see in this text. Life without God heading towards destruction. But inside of that, we see the life with God that is pictured here through a mediator, Moses, as well. In the contrast to the life without God, what is this life of God, life with God look like in these verses? On the onset of God's command that he won't go with them, Israel, Israelites go into mourning. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning, stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. I always forget that detail, right? You know, if you come out of the Egypt here, they say that when they came out of Egypt, they got all this... Um, all this, they, they basically raided Egyptians with all this gold and jewelry. And on this point and on, going forward in their journey in the wilderness, they don't wear those anymore. 
They go into time of mourning. They go into time of judgment until they get to Canaan. And God tells Moses, you are stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for a moment, I would destroy you, remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. This is God's posture towards them in the beginning of chapter 33. But notice, in light of this, watch Moses' action, the mediator's action in verse 7. It says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went into the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at his entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young men who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. This tent of meeting, church, is just that a tent of a meeting where God personally met with Moses one-on-one, a Sinai in the tent in the desert. And what this tent symbolized for Israelites was life with God. And notice that Moses does this to show Israelites also what life with God must look like for them. First, what we see is it was outside of this community to symbolize that for idol-worshiping Israelites, that God cannot be associated with that. There must be a separateness. God, who is holy, must be separate from sin. So Moses sets the tent outside of the camp intentionally to show them your life is separated from God. God cannot be with you because God will destroy sin. The Israelites sees what it meant to be people set apart for the holiness of God. But second thing that people see through Moses is that God is able to meet with Moses there personally. And what Moses shows Israelites is that God was a personal God. God's so holy, yet God meets with Moses. And through Moses, face to face, and what Moses does here, and what life with God meant for Moses was now through his office as a prophet and the leader of this generation of Israelites, he intercedes for them. He mediates for them and says in verse 12, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably upon you. If it's true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to journey, enjoy your favor. And remember that the nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be for you. But Moses is like, if you don't go personally with me, with us, from me to us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me and your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us set your people and me apart from all other people on earth. And Lord Reply to this mediator, Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably upon you, and I know you by name. And in subsequent verses, Moses was able to see God. It was a backside, and we don't fully know how God manifests himself to Moses here, but the glory of God is revealed. And you know what happens through this mediator, Moses, that comes between the Israelites and God's judgment? 
Israelites are now able to re-enter into the covenant, the promise of God. In chapter 34, the new copy of the Ten Commandments are given to them. In chapter 36, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is built. And guess where it moves to? The tent of meeting was outside of the camp, separate. But now with the renewing covenant through a mediator, the life of God is restored, and this tabernacle, tent of meeting, comes to the center of Israelites' community to appoint to what God is dwelling in the midst of them all, as it sees in Exodus chapter 40, where it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle. Glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and night fire glowed inside the cloud. The whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journey. Through the mediator, Moses, now Israelites are able to enter into life with God. In a recent book that our youth and our parents read, Colored Courageous Discipleship, the author Michelle Sanchez describes discipleship or life with God as following. It is number one, following God. Number two, being transformed by Christ. And number three, on mission with Christ. Discipleship means you're following him, being transformed by him, and on a mission with him. To summarize, living with Jesus at the center, making choices, spending money, choosing, prioritizing, just like the Israelites here. They go when God tells them to go. They stop when God tells them to stop. And they wait patiently for the Lord. Contrast to that of the golden calf-making generation that says, make something for us. Here they wait patiently as the clouds lift and they follow and cloud stays. They wait. That's what it means to be in the life with God. And church, this is the grace of God here. I don't want you to miss this as we wrap up. The echoes of Christ is seen in this exodus. You see, Israelite was headed towards a life of separation from God. Surely they'll go to the land of Canaan, but they will not be people of God. They'll be separated. But Moses, the great prophet, the great mediator, pleads for Israel, intercedes for them, even puts his life his personal gain aside so that this rebellious, evil people can re-enter into God's promises so Israelites can have Jesus, God, at the center of their community. And they met with God through this Moses, the mediator. Do you see the echoes of Christ here? Because Moses is an echo of the greater mediator, the greater prophet that is to come. You guessed it, that is Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the mediator who mediates between you and God. He's a mediator who comes to, to love us while we're still living in sin and idolatry. He's a mediator who calls us by our name. He's a mediator who calls us life without God is bad, but living with the Lord is glorious heaven. He's a mediator who takes your sin upon his shoulders. He's a mediator who dies the death you should have died on the cross. He is the mediator who rises again to give you a new life. And he's the mediator who sends the Holy Spirit now to dwell in your heart so you can follow the Lord and be disciples of Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, church, do you long for that mediator? Do you long for this mediator in your life? Do you have him at the center of your heart? Church, he is God who declares, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
He is God who declares, if you have seen me, now you have seen the Father. He is God who prepares the house for you and I to go to. He is God who allows you to approach the throne of God with confidence. He is God who sacrifices himself so you and I can see him. He is God who saves you, who redeems you, who restores you, who calls you out of life of idolatry so you can have life with God. Oh, Church of Christ, this is your King. This is your Savior. This is your God. Will you live in obedience? Better yet, will you live in love for this God? Jesus at the center, being transformed by him and following after him. Church, this is the echo of Christ in Exodus. This is your Savior you worship on Easter Sunday. I loved watching and hearing our brother Tyson's testimony last Sunday. If you haven't done so, please go to our YouTube and watch it. Not only you'll hear the work of the Hope International and Tyson, our brother, who has faithfully served Ukrainians, Christians during this very hard time. I really want to encourage you to watch that. And I loved how you all participated in this. Back in December, Tyson and community engagement team asked for donations to unnamed, unseen people who will gather in this place to provide warm undergarments, battery power equipment. And you know, in the midst of Christmas, you gave, faithfully gave. And you know what? God used it. Through Tyson, through Hope International, but most of all, through your life is centering upon Christ's life with God to share the love with the Ukrainian Christians who are gathering to do the same thing. Despite the danger of war and threat of life, going back to their homes with hope, this is life with God made possible by Christ who comes to die and rise again as we celebrate Easter. In Christ Central Church, this is why I love coming here on Sunday. Joining with you all, not because of our programs, not because this is a comfortable place to be, seeing your faces, your family, community, I like all that too. But you know, that's just extra. That's just cherry on top. Do you know that? Not the main thing. But rather, I love coming here because this is God's church. Amen? Amen. Sinners gathered by the grace of God, found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we gather, church. This is our identity. This is your DNA. That we gather in our broken lives together and we're going to fight these idolatries together as we gather to worship God, and we're not going to let the ideologies of the world, even good things, the gifts of God, to become the center of our lives. Rather, we gather, sing this song, to listen, to send our kids to Bible studies, and disciple, baptize, Lord's Supper, all that. Why? So that we could have Christ at the center of our lives. Amen? That's why you must be here. That's why we gather. That's why Church of Christ stands and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Pray that in your hearts as we invite our children back, as we sing a song in a little bit. But let's pray that, will you? Father, as we come, may, may you be the center of our lives. May not a church Sunday service coming to worship, giving, sacrificing become something extra that I do, but may that be at the center in how we disciple, how we love, how we speak, 
how we choose to spend money, how we choose to order our lives, how we choose to make choices of our lives. May you be at the center, not on a peripheral, not set apart from the, what I do, but may you always be at the center by the mediator Christ who comes and rescues us. Father, may you be with this church. May Christ-centered church never forget the name that we have, Christ at the center, Christ central in all that we do in the season, in the next season, with the new pastors, whatever may be, Father, but may we never forget that at the center of our church and our lives, that Christ is in the center. May our life be a reflection of life with God in all that we do, in all that we practice, and may you be pleased, may you be worshipped, may we fight idols in our lives, and we commit ourselves to the covenant of God through Christ who makes that possible for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.